Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Good morning. I'd like to spend a little bit of time before our next session of sitting offering some instructions, which are also hopefully words of encouragement for your practice. I just walked down the hill coming towards the building and first I saw Teresa filling two green watering cans and then Joanna squatting and weeding and Kosu walking down the path and then Ronit studying some flowers uh, Bill breaking a stick (coughs) several times (laughs) and then Michael Kerman walking down a path And each of you doing your activities, the only way you can do those activities, uh, before I even saw Bill, I knew that was Bill breaking the stick. Um, When I saw Michael Kerman, that's the only way um, that condition can walk down that path. And the whole process together is just one body organizing itself so that we can all support one another in this, I don't want to say practice, but in this life that we're doing, to see how we can all self-organize to take care of one another. And at one point, the activity might be obvious, which is, I am watering this basil for other people to eat. And at other times, maybe less obvious, I am walking alone down this path. But in the scheme of things, we see that um, this question of who is walking down the path becomes very important. And so what I'd like to talk about is um, the first two foundations of mindfulness that we've been emphasizing in terms of the three characteristics. To understand that these three characteristics of dukkha, of impermanence, and of contingency, or not-self, are not doctrine, but are actually um, techniques that we can employ 
so that we can deconstruct our self-constructed suffering. There are tools. Rather than theological commitments or belief systems. So I thought I'd start with a a little passage from one of my favorite Japanese poets, Ryokan. A very, uh, uh, Ryokan was uh, very poor and lived in a small thatched hut on the side of a mountain uh, for the last half of his life. And um, his practice was sitting and cooking and lying down and walking and writing poems. Uh, I'll set up this passage, um, which is he is um, uh, sad, going through uh, a few days and nights of not sleeping and being distressed by his sadness. Maybe you felt this before. You sit still and at first there's maybe some busyness which gives way to then some ease and then some agitation and then some joy, and then some sadness, and then some anger, and then some joy. That's how the retreat is for me. I don't know about you. (laughs) (laughs) And we're only on the second day. (laughs) Or third day. Who's counting? Don't answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) And so what he does uh, to deal with his sadness is he picks up uh, the words of his favorite teacher, Dogen, uh, and uh, reads some of Dogen's um, words, and it actually makes him uh, settle, and it also makes the tears come. And here's what he says about that. One evening, sitting by the lamp, my tears wouldn't stop. And soaked into the records of the ancient Buddha, Dogen. In the morning, the old man next door came by my thatched hut, and he asked me why the book was damp. I wanted to speak, but didn't, as I was deeply embarrassed. My mind deeply distressed. It was impossible to give an explanation for my sadness. I dropped my head for a while and then finally found some words. I said, last night's rain leaked in and drenched my bookcase. Last night's rain leaked in and drenched my bookcase. If you read that passage quickly, it sounds like an excuse. Oh, I wasn't crying. It was just the rain leaking through the bookcase. But I think now that we're starting to settle into this practice and see what flows through awareness, 
and see the way we misidentify so much of the time with what moves through awareness, we might have a little different take on this passage, which is to see how Ryokan is not um, embarrassed anymore by his tears and by his sadness, or maybe by his failure. Maybe some of you feel this way, that you're failing at the retreat. Where's the big wake-up? How can I break into oneness? I'm a failure. Or I'm sad. Or maybe I see things about my personality that are becoming very obvious. But all those tears, is ju- that's just last night's rain flowing through the roof, the roof of your mouth, the roof of your eyelids, the roof of your head, that those tears are not so personal. The conditions that they arise in seem so personal because they're unique. Michael Kerman can only walk down that path as Michael Kerman. And Joanna can only weed like Joanna. And Bill can only break a stick like Bill. Yet, at the same time, um, that work is not about I, me, and mine. So when we open to the feeling of inhaling and exhaling, we start to see that the breath is just, in Sanskrit, the the word for breath is called vayu, which means wind. That the breath is just a wind moving through the body. It's not your breath. Of course, it manifests in your body in very unique ways. But it's still not your wind. The sound of the airplane passing overhead really has nothing to do with you. When Quan Yin cries, she takes all of her saltwater tears and pours them back into the ocean. Because they're not hers. Neither is the ocean. So is it possible for you in your practice, when you open to the feeling of breathing, to really open to the impersonal nature of the breath. It's just breathing. When sensations arise, they fall into three different baskets. They're felt as positive, as negative, or neutral. But there isn't like a fourth basket that's the me basket 
Oh yeah, those ones are positive, and these ones are really positive, and they're mine. And you don't want to create one basket bigger than another basket. So you don't want just one big neutral basket. So slowing down and coming into the senses means opening to the breadth of feeling of being a human being in this body, in this world. at this time, in this moment. And yet not referring everything that moves through awareness back to a central command. Joy comes and then sadness comes. The pain in the knee comes and then the pain in the shoulder. Then for a while, you might feel like a really good meditator and you're ready to sign up for the pilgrimage to India with Norman. And then a few minutes later, uh, you're nothing. You don't even deserve to be here because you're a fraud. And just to watch the mind just to watch mind. Actually, in Sanskrit, not only can you not personalize a word, but you also, there's no the, and also no capital letters. So you can't even have the mind as a way of phrase. It's just mind, small m, mind. So, Everything that moves through awareness is changing, is impermanent. When you pick it up and try and create a sense of permanence with your imagination, you create dukkha for yourself. And because everything is in flow and contingent on conditions, that are also in flow, nothing is I, me, or mine. Contingency is emptiness. Contingency is to see interdependence, or what Thich Nhat Hanh calls interbeing. So this is happening in the meditation practice. When you're weeding, this is interweeding. Not only are you weeding, but you're being weeded. That weed is combing your mind and your body if the intention is to treat the weed as practice. When Ronit looks into the flower on the path, the flower's looking right back at her. So this is interbeing. This is dependent origination, dependent arising.
interdependence, contingency, and not self. And there is a way where we can take this as a philosophical viewpoint. This is the philosophy of interdependence. And what I'd like you to do this morning for the rest of our meditation period is begin to also see how this is not just a philosophical viewpoint, but is actually a way of practice, a way of life, a way of seeing. In the refrain at the end of all of the four foundations of mindfulness, the Buddha asks that the bhikkhu, which is you, this room of weeds and flowers and sticks and people, ask that you notice arising and passing away. Whether it's of the breath, which is what we've covered, or whether it's feeling. That negative feeling comes and goes. Neutral feelings come and go. Positive feelings come and go. And he also says, with just enough understanding that mindfulness can be present. With just enough understanding. You don't need to make sense of every experience that shows up for you in order for mindfulness to be present. And in terms of technique, that means in the sitting practice, you don't need so much language. You don't need to talk to yourself so much. And one of the ways of doing this is to just watch for the personal pronoun. Sadness is arising. As opposed to, I am so sad about my life. Joy is arising. And it's not yours. The tears show up, and it's just water leaking through the roof. So you can see with the breath that when you pick up the breath and you start adding to it and superimposing ideas on it, you create a low-grade dukkha because there's separation. There's a me that's breathing as opposed to just the flow of the breath. The Buddha says, if the breath is long, let it be long. Leave it alone. Can you do this with positive 
negative and neutral feelings? Can you leave them alone? Allow a feeling to be a feeling rather than the whole drama of me. Does this happen for anybody on the cushion? You're sitting and suddenly feelings show up. Oh my God, I'm having feelings. I have to do something. And so how to open to experience with a little less reactivity so that there can be space around what's being experienced. And so in this instruction, the Buddha is only describing feeling as feeling tone, the tone of positive, negative, and neutral, not as categories. Oh, this is anxiety. Oh, this is... Um, loss. No, he's dropping underneath that. If you let go of anxiety, if you let go of the frame loss and drop into what that actually feels like, then we're deep in the second foundation of mindfulness. Deep in life. not confusing the names we have for things which, with what's actually occurring. And when the sticky knots show up in our practice, old stories we become entangled in, Maybe if negative feeling is persistent, um, we start creating stories about, about the experience. And likewise with positive feelings. Sometimes we start feeling good for half a day on a retreat and we get a bit scared. <coughs> feeling good? I'm not supposed to feel good. Where's, you know, where's the material? So opening up to experience without superimposing I, me, and mine. And as a technique in your practice, just to watch the language you use. to replace my body with the body, or just body. Replacing my mind with mind. Replacing my sadness with feeling. And then we can start to see how the three characteristics of dukkha, of impermanence, and of contingency, 
and interdependence um, can reveal themselves in these first two foundations of mindfulness so that we create the conditions for insight. Vipashyana. Pasha is an I. V means to go in, which is why the term is translated as insight. To look into things, to really look into your experience, to feel deeply without being swallowed, to look closely without being identified. There can be negative feeling in the knee. Negative feeling in knee. In knee is a helpful label because it helps us recognize what's actually going on. But then, with the breath, accompanied by the breath, to open up to this feeling. without referring it back to me. The wind is blowing outside. And for us, the wind is blowing outside. But for the wind, it's not blowing. The wind is just doing what the wind does. So when you sit, to simply sit and to be yourself, but not the self you think is yourself. in the same way that the wind is doing its thing. We sit in here and we watch the light change in the window. But that's the light changing in the window for us. But for the sun, for the flowers, they're probably not wondering about whether the light is going to hit them in the eye or warm them up, or cool them down. Likewise, when feelings and the breath, sensations, and even stories move through awareness, when they show up and become dominant, that's the object of meditation in that moment. And we meet that object of meditation with mindfulness of breathing. 
And then we also watch how, when that happens, we're allowing whatever phenomena is there to unfold and then to liberate itself. Which is like saying that you actually don't let go of anything because you could never hold on to it in the first place. Everything that moves through you is letting go of itself. You can't even say that, because it didn't even have a self to let go of. And when we start holding on and identifying with the content of consciousness, uh, our experience becomes vexing and stressful. And so this is how you can start to really see into suffering, unsatisfactoriness, dukkha. This is how you can really start to see into impermanence and also um, contingency. And so during the next meditation session, I'm going to offer a few instructions, uh, just a few, um, to start to experiment a little bit with um, exploring these first two foundations of mindfulness from the perspective of uh, not-self.